This episode is sponsored by Oribi, an all-in-one marketing analytics tool to empower businesses of all sizes to make smarter, data-driven decisions. If you're worried about attributions, it's time to stop using traditional data analytics tools. With Oribi, you enable all your team to get the data they need without requiring developers and new code for every new event. Traditional analytics platforms simply provide more and more data, and it just gets more confusing. With Oribi, they help you understand what to do with that data. Oribi is like having an analytics and data employee in your business 24 hours a day. If you'd like to learn more, visit oribi.io and set up a free account and take the right data from your site and turn it into smarter business decisions. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS-podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akhil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to use AI for building the perfect content marketing strategy. Today, we have our guest, Jeff Coyle, joining us. Jeff is the co-founder and CSO at Market News, an AI-powered content marketing service that collects and analyzes your content, prioritizes the best opportunities based on authority and ROI, and helps you build topic models for you to write and create the best content for your strategy. Prior to starting Market News in 2015, Jeff was a marketing consultant in, in Atlanta uh, and led the traffic search and engagement team for seven years at TechTarget, which is a leader in B2B technology publishing and lead generation. Jeff frequently speaks at content marketing conferences, including Content Tech, Marketing AI Conference, LavaCon, Content Marketing Conference, and much, much more. So welcome, Jeff. Super excited to have you on SAS District Show today. Oh, thanks so much. And yeah, just getting back from Content Marketing World, which was uh, the last week in Cleveland. So excited to jump in. And this is going to be a great discussion. Awesome. So uh, we we met through a mutual friend, um, Kevin. So if you guys haven't checked out his podcast, we actually had him on the show, Kevin Peterson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're part of a mutual group and Facebook community that's uh, that's pretty big and, 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 you know, love being part of it. Uh, and I'm a big fan of Market Muse myself. You know, I use it and I love what you guys have done. Um, and you guys have started introducing, you know, AI into the mix, you know, before just being an SEO tool. So well, I want to start with that side of it. You know, what, what exactly is AI marketing and what and what exactly does it mean to incorporate AI techniques into marketing strategies? And maybe if you can share some results that we can expect, you know, for some examples that you've seen that, that have worked really well. Sure. So, I mean, I think you kind of walked through the intro and, and thanks for having me. Um, the I think understanding the origin of how Market Muse came to be in a really quick, concise, I promise story makes it clear why we built Market Muse the way that we have. Um, so in my early part of my career, so I've been in this space for about 22-ish years doing search engine optimization, content strategy, lead gen, every element of inbound marketing. Um, and... I was primarily focused on using content and getting people to think content was a thing, right? These were big B2B companies. They didn't even have content on their sites. It was just like they had white papers over here. They had physical brochures over there. So we're trying to convince large companies to actually get content on the web so that we could syndicate it and generate leads. Um, So fast forward in 2007, when we were acquired by TechTarget, what they had that we didn't was they had a huge editorial team. 
you know, 300 writer editorial experts, you know, a thousand writers on call, like, uh, you know, kind of guest writers. Um, and I was sitting there with, you know, SEO strategy and that was it, you know, I could push out a million plus leads in a month. Right. But it wasn't an editorially, um, sensitive, uh, strategy. Um, and so working with them over the time that I had, I went from being completely not empathetic for what editorials have to do to really understanding their workflows. Um, and I saw an opportunity for if we could figure out how to use data to inform what it means to be an expert on a topic, that would be something that connected and crossed the chasm between editorial and SEO. Right. And that was when I found my co-founder, Aki Blog, who had built the original technology that powers market news. And it is a topic model, it is a branch of artificial intelligence called topic modeling um, that says it builds and basically tells you if I'm an expert on a topic, here's what an ideal framework for this content would be. And then we've taken that infrastructure and turned it into um, solutions at every stage of the of the process. So from early stage research and planning and prioritization. So what should I do? What should I write about? What should I update and why? Giving the why for content is something that I say a lot. Like, what's your why for content? Why are you building this page? Why have you decided that this page is the one you need to create now? Right. Um, and then connecting the dots and pushing all the way down that process. So we built uh, the first in-market content brief that was powered with artificial intelligence. So the actually building the outline, giving insights that a writer should consider when they're crafting uh, content. Um, and also updating existing content, giving frameworks for saying, for evaluating content and a quantified measure for quality. So saying, how high quality is this? How comprehensive is this? It's not a subjective only measure. Right. So we can actually evaluate a content item and say whether it's written by an expert, most likely, whether it's missing key elements um, that an expert would have communicated. Um, and then we were able to roll that up from the page level to the site level. So we can say, what strengths do you have on your site? When you cover this topic, you typically do it really well. When you cover that topic, you typically do it poorly. And what are the gaps and how do I fix that? So you imagine the main stakeholders for Market Muse are strategic editorial leads or content strategists, if it's a, a, a technology firm, they're deciding what we create and what we update, how much money we need to investigate in, invest. But then getting in kind of the, the boots on the ground, folks, the writers, how do I get information that creates a single source of truth so that when I deliver content, it's not going to get punched back in my face. You have to actually give me a brief if I'm going to write. I can't just have to do all the research. First of all, why? Second of all, why would you want your writers doing keyword research? Because they're not as good as a great search engine optimization professional would be, much like a great search engine optimization person isn't going to be a great writer naturally, right? There are those jacks of all trades, but they don't exist very often. Um, it's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, asking, uh, uh, asking somebody who, you know, sells milk if they're a farmer in some cases, right? Um, so, uh, and that's not typically going to be the yin and the yang. Some of them are, but very rarely. Um, and so it's everywhere in between there. Um, we even have also innovated in the natural language generation space. Uh, so where we've built all, all of our own technology, which uses our brief technology, which is basically effectively, if you can imagine, hey, if Market Muse knows what it means to be an expert, if Market Muse can build an outline and Market Muse can generate content that exhibits expertise, 
obviously that's a beautiful triangle, right? Um, so we've already launched that into market and you can use that to inspire possible ways to approach a particular concept. Um, and that can really rev up your team if you have the appropriate attitude. Um, and I say that probably we'll probably get into it. Um, but with generation, there's a lot to think about, um, both ethically as well as workflow. It can be a complete stopper, non-starter for some people. And it can be a huge amplifier for others. Um, and it's just because everyone's brain works differently. And that's the thing with all this technology. There are, there are editorial people who, if they hopped in a popular SEO tool, their brains would just be like, no, doesn't help me still to this day. And that's okay. It's really, it's actually quite good, right? Because they're not, be, they're being guided by their own expertise. They understand they're not being given the thing that fits into their workflow. And that's been the problem with the market. Um, and that's the problem we're looking to solve. It's how to get something that both an editorial leader or subject matter expert would love, as well as your techiest SEO nerd. And I'm allowed to call them that because I am one um, okay. and, and, and are, are also happy with it. The person that unlocks that has a major, major exciting thing. You don't talk to editorial leadership. Uh, find one. Find an editorial lead that spends a lot of time Inside an SEO tool, and I'll, uh, I'll, uh, like, I'll, I'll personally write you a one dollar check, which you have to go to the bank and deposit. So, <laughs> take you up on that offer, right. Jeff. Uh, so, you mentioned an interesting question to ask yourself when writing content, right? So, if I'm a SaaS company, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I need to do SEO. Everybody says I need to, whether I'm already doing it or I'm starting to. Um, mm -hmm. Why should I create this specific piece? Um, but you know, looking, thinking from an SEO perspective. Yep. I'm trying to understand, right? There's like, the, you have that optimization feature, which I love, you know, you can go in and, you know, optimize the page for, for trying to rank your piece over the, the you know, the competition. Mm -hmm. But from a Google perspective, I think a lot has changed over the last few years where, you know, we're hearing Google weighs a lot of the writing based on just the quality of the content you put out, right? So if you put out something that's really high quality, you know, probably doesn't need too much technical stuff uh, versus, you know, focusing on just the technical side. Um, what, what's your thoughts on that when it comes to ranking for, for the keywords on those articles? You know, you want your why is I want leads and I want to create, you know, good piece of content and I want to rank obviously to do that. So what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So there's, there's a, a just to unpack that, um, it has changed a for a long time. I was, uh, unfortunate for me, fortunate for you. I was on top of the hill screaming into the world that quality content really mattered for now over a decade. Right. Um, and now it's, Hit, hit a lot of people in the face that weren't listening. Um, but it's very, very important to understand. And I'll, I'll start my response there with looking at Google has to always get better. They have to. It's just what they provide has to answer the questions that people care about. They also have to do a better job surfacing what I reference as Google's favored intent mm. to a query. Um, mm -hmm. which means Google may not always have explicit intent, which means I know absolutely that this person is typing these words in and they are looking for this thing. Um, so what they have to do is assess the level of fracture in the intent, right? It can also have two different meanings. So there can be meaning disambiguation, but I think it's all starts there. So you then, if you are writing for your site, um, need to understand whether there are things like multiple meanings for what you're think what you care about. And then also what's the fracture. And I'll use the easiest way to say that is 
Google, and Google's favorite intent doesn't match the fracture. And this may sound esoteric, but I'll explain it in, in easy, easy phrase, uh, in case you don't have a, a visual aid here. Um, if someone's searching for CRM, everybody knows what CRM, the primary, um, the primary definition for that algorithm, for that acronym is customer relationship management. So Google has to first do meaning disambiguation against other acronyms. Maybe there's a, Cool riding mama's biking gang, right? And they're in, they're in, uh, uh, you know, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, right? So, you know, let's just make that, right? So first of all, they have to decide the favored meaning, right? Based on most of the data that they're getting. But now I'm looking for CRM. What's the, what, what could I be looking for? I might be looking for what is CRM. I might be looking for CRM software. I might be looking to review or compare. I might be, looking to buy a software package. I might have a problem with my CRM system. First of all, a terrible query to put in, but you know, um, but Google has to figure out what the favored intent is going to be right now. So some of those results in practice are going to be more basic guides. What is, because they're assuming that somebody who they're just like, well, CRM, what's that? Right. Um, and then some of them are going to probably be a little bit comparison in the search results. So that is a signal of Google recognizing that there's fractured intent, right? You could be at multiple stages of the buyer journey. So the reason why I describe it this way is because you have the obligation as a publisher or a SaaS provider or a selling a widget, you know, selling a coffee cup, you have the obligation to be there throughout that entire journey. You have the obligation to write content at all stages of the buy cycle to satisfy as many intents that make sense for you, right? So how do you start to decide what you need to write? You need to understand the topics that you're covering, the level of expertise of those potential readers, right? And then where do you have content already in that funnel, right? And what are those related concepts? So that has to be done at the starting point. So what we support basically is we look at who you are today and say where you have strengths and weaknesses. And then we give you the potential research components to learn about what would fill out the rest of those journeys. And the way that manifests in commonly is like a, a, a content cluster or a collection of content that as a mass tells the story that you're an expert, right? And if you don't have that mass, you can't rank well. I always like to say, you don't deserve to rank uh, for content at the top of the funnel, unless you have content at the bottom of the funnel. You don't deserve to rank at the bottom of the funnel unless you have content at the top of the funnel. Um, and you need content that is post-purchase as well. Troubleshooting, um, champion development, content for people who have already purchased that are for you know the future. That's the story of how you build the most trust. And that is how you can perform with content. Big asterisk. Uh, technical stuff gets you an invitation to the party. You're not even invited without it. All right. Um, if you've got a slow site, if you've got technical problems, if you haven't managed your migrations properly in the past, my background, certainly in my, you know, I have a computer science degree to focus on usability theory, but you know, I've done a lot of technical work. I've done hundreds, sadly, migrations because I've got, you know, gray hairs to prove them. Um, you got to get those things right. You got to get that, that technical side. You got to focus on conversion rate optimization. You got to focus on you know, a great user experience, right? But um, those things are invites to the party and then they keep people 
at the party, right? But getting in the door is effectively what, where you are, are you modeling expertise or not? Um, and your existing authority really matters. So let's just say you have a great brand you've been writing for you know 20 years um, and you own this topic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even if you haven't tuned your, you know, tuned the tuning for even if you haven't sharpened the knife for years on the content, you just, you know, correlatively when you publish about this, it does well, right? Okay, right? You can go from that to a laser guided missile system. If you've got it from, you know, luck and chance and just from editorial excellence, whoo, those are my favorite people because mm-hmm. I can turn them into a, you know, a deadly machine. If you've got nothing or you've got, you don't know why stuff does well. And you don't know why stuff doesn't. That's where you need to be more introspective because the four main reasons why are quick wins. I want to win. What's the content I need to create today that wins today or tomorrow or update? What content should I update? Then I've got business goals. I've got, I want to own CRM. Okay, good luck. It's going to take you a while, but here's how much you need to build. And here's a lot of stuff you need to update. The other ones are risks. Most um, technology companies have huge risk factors that associate with their site from competitive risks. People are publishing and you're not taking into account that. Or you've got pages that for one reason or another, get too much of a percentage of your traffic. There's probably people listening to this that have a lot of red faces. They're like, oh yeah, I've got that page. It's It gets 14% of my... I get 40%. I've had one technology company. I get 40% of my leads come from this one page. And I'm like, you're happy about that? You realize what a tremendous, disastrous thing is uh, that is. Because what if, you, what if you don't even lose traction on that? What if the world changes? And intent changes. What if there's news in the space? So you're going to say, if there's a news event in the space, you're okay losing 40% of your traffic. Um, and, and so there's, there's, how do we get around those risk factors too? Um, and, and, and that, those are the types of reasons why we create. And we're looking to inform all of those so that you can have high, high content efficiency rates. And that's how much content do you create? How much of it is successful? How much content do you update? How much of that is successful? Those are the metrics we're looking to move. So, mm. so mm. and then, you know, you mentioned authority as being part of it. So let's say, you know, I st- you know, I'm, I'm the leader now in CRM and then, um, you know, I want to move into, uh, you know, I don't know, sales outreach or some, you know, some maybe sales tools. Um, how, how do you kind of think about that way? You know, is, is it, you know, is domain authority, which is kind of, you know, a lot of people look at, is that the metric from, you know, Mazda that's kind of, uh, penciled in and everybody uses as the as the as the goalpost. Is that still a factor in today? And is that what, okay? When I hit a certain threshold, I'm a, this DA and I'm, I'm ranking for all these CRM t- keywords, and I'm a, I think I'm a leader there. I can now move to you know another another segment or, or cluster. I uh, know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Taking off a few pieces of jewelry here, right? No, I'm just yeah. joking. Um, so uh, no, domain authority is an, an extremely. It, first of all, it isn't used by Google. Um, just to be clear, uh, the, the the concept of domain authority, the metric is a completely correlative derivative metric. Um, it is, and there's uh, there are related ones throughout the web uh, that, re- that are connected to that. It is agnostic of expertise, authoritativeness, trust metrics, or um, other um, technical metrics. Uh, and it is a, it's a finger in the air of potentially the likelihood of 
you having enough off-page power to perform. Uh, hrefs, for example, their difficulty metric um, is also solely based on link data. Okay, um, so when they look, they're looking at it's link cohort analysis. So it's basically saying, uh, here's a snapshot of who's performing. Here's the links and the link profile of those pages. Thus, if you have close to that link profile, you might have a chance to perform. Right? Um, that's the theoretics behind DA, domain authority. It's to say, you're about this powerful generally. Um, the problem with that is it doesn't account for anything that relates to the topic relatedness or even the cohort of content you have that has performed or hasn't. It doesn't account for your content at all. So it's only actionable if you take a cognitive bias leap. And the cognitive bias leap is you say, I've already done the work and I have the historical data that I already have data that tells me that I have done well on this or related topics connected to it. So it creates this natural bias. So if I'm going in and I'm researching a word, the origin of that word comes from me, right? So I'm probably relevant. But let's just say you're crazy that day and you wanted to look up a word that wasn't related to you. So your DA is 84. Uh, you've never written any content about looking around the room, about um, Hulk some of my kids' toys are on the floor, um, <laughs> about, about the Incredible Hulk, all right? All right. Um, your site is about coffee cups, and but you're the market leader in coffee cups, right? And you're like, well, this search result, the average DA is like 65. Um, the, my link profile is relatively similar to the ones that are ranking well for you know the Incredible Hulk's real identity. So that means I can go write an article about the biography of the Incredible Hulk? Hmm? And the answer is, you can't. You can try. If you have, if you're in the top 2% of all power, because it's a logarithmic chart, you have the ability to do that, right? You can get away with anything. It's not going to be long lasting. If you are like the rest of us, you've got to understand the connection between topics and your site and your authoritativeness at the topic site section level. That is how it is calculated. Um, it is calculated at the topic site section level. It's super hard. It's super... Imagine Google's task. Imagine how computationally complex that is, right? But they have to do it. And the example that they give that I always like to use because it's from the horse's mouth is um, the careers section of the Johns Hopkins website is not the authoritative place to get medical advice. Okay. Right. That one sentence explains why Google cannot operate by DA. One sentence to describe why that platform, those platforms have fundamentally trained us on correlation. And what we have to do is retrain ourselves on content driving topical authority. And you can always, please feel free to use it. 
the career section of the Johns Hopkins website is not where you should get medical advice. And once people, <laughs> once your brain explodes, pick it up off the ground, smoosh it back in, realize that SEO has been, all the touts have been standing in front of screens selling you bad information uh, for years. Um, you can go, okay, now what? And now what is putting data behind, you know, you can use correlation theory, right? Um, but don't do it stupidly, right? Don't look at a search result on an intent fracture query, right? You've used optimize, right? Don't use it and don't smush all the content together and try to make something that is the aggregation of four pages that are about different things. Mm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you get it, if you go get advice about SEO, it says, take the top ranking three pages, smush them together and do a better page. Uh-uh. You do that, you'll be calling me a year later crying on my shoulder. Especially, especially if in those top three results is a extraordinarily high, powerful entity. Do not emulate your idols. If that is a site from a three-letter name and you try to copy them, or if that's a site from, I'm allowed to say Amazon, that's a site from Amazon, um, you're in trouble. You try to go copy an Amazon page, you try to go po- copy a three-letter publisher page, um, you're going to get your butt kicked. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but there is mathematics that will tell you that the day will come and then you'll look back and go, oh gosh, what did I do? And unraveling that mess is a disaster. So what do you do instead? You got to build the infrastructure and the foundation that tells a story you're the expert. Then you're allowed to perform well on those topics consistently, right? And you don't have to rely on getting lucky and you don't have to rely on copying anyone, which will create its own set of problems. So, I mean, if I'm, I'm thinking it from a, a SaaS founder's perspective, you know, we ha- time is always on our, against us, right? We have 18 months, six months, whatever we have, right? We have to, we have to deliver, you know, what about, right? Quarter by quarter, yeah. <laughs> there Every is quarter. no time. Every quarter, right? So I, I need to see results, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, okay, let's say, let's just use CRM, but maybe it's a less competitive keyword. And I'm just getting started. Is it, is it a volume game here? It's like, do I push out, you know, 100 pieces of content in a month and try to become a leader? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how, how can you look at this from, you know, let's say a quick wins perspective or, uh, you know, best use of our time to start becoming a leader here in, in our segment, and especially when there's so much competition around? So, so if you imagine me as a SaaS founder, I have yeah. to be able to answer that question. Because why? I got to get you hooked. I got to get you hooked oh. on marketing views. If mm-hmm. I walk in... If I walk in the door and you're like, I'm like, hey, kill. Um, you start working with our platform, you know, build 350 pages of content and publish it all at once and then wait six months. You're gonna be like, Yeah, that sucks. Um, by the way, in a lot of cases, that is your best strategy. And I know that that's not popular to hear, but in a lot of cases, it is your best strategy. And that's gonna make people cringe if they listen to it. Um, I have a client, not going to say who they are, um, who for their most recent site launch launched with 550 pages, uh, covering four core, uh, top line concepts. Um, and it's, you do have to take the leap of faith sometimes, um, uh, in that effect, because that was what the data told us, right? Competitive cohort analysis is a, uh, not very well known, but it is a real process practiced by probably about four people who actually know how to do it, right? Um, and what we do is we try to look at these things and 
use them when we're giving that type of advice or when the technology is giving that advice. Um, but it, it, the, the answer is, you know, the SEO diapers, it depends, right? It's, it depends on what you've got today, right? It depends on your, um, what kind of authority you currently have um, and where you have future authority potential. So I'll, 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 I like examples, right? So I'll give you yeah. three examples here. Um, one is a uh, brand new site can only create. You have to do competitive analysis to get the data because there's nothing to look at, right? So how do you do that? You either take the leap of faith and you tune the timing or you niche build and you are looking for niches that have opportunities um, and you believe you have a shorter time horizon there for one reason or another. Um, if you've got an existing site, quick wins most frequently will come from content updates. Okay. Updating existing content, expanding existing content that has authority or they can inspire new content to create that can be connected and have a quicker win cycle. So if I bring somebody in, I'm most likely going to get my quickest wins by instructing them on items to update. I'm updating them based on their existing level of expertise exhibition and by, you know, looking at ways maybe intent change since they built the last content. Um, then those things might create what we call intent mismatches. Intent mismatches, your page is ranking for uh, Yeti Blue, Yeti uh, tr Troubleshooting, right? But it's just a basic page uh, review. All right, well, hey, go write either add a section to this that focuses on problems and troubleshooting or go create a section that is about uh, common problems and troubleshooting and link to it. Okay. So that's an intent mismatch because today they go to it and it's a review, but they were researching troubleshooting. So they wanted one thing. I gave them another. What does that do? That gives me a, a that tells me I am authoritative about the microphones already. I have the opportunity to rank for another intent, which is troubleshooting. Right. So those are commonly the quick wins. The other side is to say, I want to own this topic. I can give a relatively predictive metric on how much content's created, needs to be created or updated. It may not be what you want to hear. The other example I'll give you, real story. Uh, I will not say the names. Uh, major technology company, two product lines. They said they needed to grow leads 30% in one year to each of the product lines. I said, well, on this one, I'm not going to say the exact numbers because I kind of don't remember them. On this one product line, you would have to create 240 articles and update 35. On this other one, you can get the same outcome from creating 60 and updating 20. Guess what they did? The path of least resistance. They said, we'll focus on this other product line next year. <laughs> and then they focused on this. So it can be at that level of predictive. Um, niche building is a skill. Uh, it's very difficult. It's not what I'm talking about here. It's no matter where you are today, finding a quick win can make everybody happy. I like to instruct my onboarding team and my uh, training team to try to find three or four quick wins because nothing gets people excited than, hey, I updated this page and it went up 10%. Obviously, this works, right? But there's a method to that madness. It's, it can be a, you know, it can be a parlor trick. SEOs have been doing it for years. If you've ever heard anyone say the word striking distance, it's an SEO parlor trick. It means that it's correlative. Someone's on page two. You tell them, hey, 
go make that page better. And then they do. There's a high degree of possibility that they will go from the top of page two to page one, naturally. So that makes, that is what the SEO agency world was built on. That was the first ever SEO parlor trick outreach was, Hey, here's these words. Go update these pages. And they would. We're not doing that either. Although still works, by the way. Um, you can go do that when it's combined with the data about your existing authority. And you can turn that into a laser strike machine. And you can say, Oh, wow. Here's why I'm updating that. I wrote this article about, you know, Blue Yeti microphones, and I never talked about the sound modulation. Okay, I go do that. It works. Okay, so the, that's the type of insight um, that that is a little bit different. But that's how you get to quick wins, and that's how you get to long wins. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you know, kind of diving deeper into the AI side, right? Because I understand the powerful tool around it, data analytics. You can streamline, right. you know, manual work saves you a lot of time. Better predictive outcomes and predictive analytics. Right. But there's also the other side, which is how AI is used to interpret, you know, human emotion interactions, you know, customer experience to uncover those actionable insights for maybe a more personalized, you know, uh, customer journey. Let's call it. Is it what, what points are you looking at there? Is it points like bounce rate? Is it time on page? Or what else can we focus on to really, you know, look at that side of the, the overall metrics? I do not uh, in our platform. Um, I don't look at analytics uh, yet. Um, I don't look at, for example, Google Search Console data. Um, I'm looking at uh, how predictive my metrics could possibly be, and then how much content needs to be created is my focus. Um, so I don't need that data to do that work. I want clients to certainly be looking at um, data points uh, like entrances isn't entrances is not your only metric for a successful page, right? Um, it is a metric. Um, but not all pages should be generating entrances. That's scary for someone to say. A page may solely exist to be a support page. Um, it creates, it adds to that. Remember I was talking about your content moves in a mass. It adds to the mass and it is the most common thing someone clicks on after they read the page that gets all the entrances. Well, that has intrinsic value to Google as well as it does to, um, you know, because that page represents another piece of expertise. It may not be as popular of a piece of expertise, but it is very important. Um, so uh, next click information, um, certainly if measured right, bounce rate um, and, uh, and entrance data, as well as uh, if you have a really good beaconing system, uh, you're getting true, um, true dwell time, true scroll depth data. All of that should go into your analysis. Um, I say if you're doing it right, um, because sadly, most people calculate bounce rate wrong. Google Analytics does not calculate it properly um, unless you have a beaconing system. So if you think you're calculating Google, if you think you're calculating bounce rate properly or average time on site properly, and you haven't configured analytics, you're wrong. And I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the reason is because there's a, um, a, a false numerator denominator in uh, average time on site, uh, a bounce page, a, a, a one a one page experience uh, is, uh, unless you're beaconing for time on site, which hopefully this isn't completely insane uh, as I'm describing it, which means you're hitting the 
analytics system over and over again to tell somebody that somebody's still on the page, um, a, a bounce will be recorded as a zero. But zero on the numerator and a one on the denominator. Um, and uh, that'll really, really skew your time on site data. Um, so net-net, uh, look at your um, average time on site and page with and without bounce segments. Um, and definitely use that data. It's very, very important. Um, and then your best case is to have a solution um, that allows you to almost look at a DVR of those user sessions, um, whether it's a full story or something similar. Um, you've got to get to that level of detail to be a great content strategist because just getting them there has... Um, and then they leave. Not only does that stink because they're not converting... It loses you lose the trust of your organization. Um, they don't want to build that content anymore because it's not doing anything. Um, but what it also does is it it gives really negative signals to Google um, if somebody's landing them bouncing back. They call it dolphining. They dolphin back. There's some amount of dolphining um, that goes back, and um, uh, but you don't want that to be true. Uh, there's a lot of myths about how that works and how it's injected into the algorithm. Uh, there's even a huge tribe of SEOs that says that Google doesn't even track that data. Um, guess what they do? Uh, if you want to know how, maybe we can do that in another session. But yeah, they track everything. Just because you mouse over a link, folks, and there's no tracking parameters on the link doesn't mean it's not being tracked. Uh, it is. Uh, every click on Google is tracked. And every click, every placement of a link has a name. Uh, there's, in some cases, hundreds of them. They all have specific names. Um, and so Google tracks that. Uh, and they want to know, they have that first party data if you're bouncing back and forth. So they know that information. Um, so you don't want a page that creates bounce rates, both because there's it's a signal of negativity internally. It's also a signal of negativity to them. Got it. Got it. Mm -hmm. um, and Jeff, kind of last question on, on a little bit on the technical side for, for maybe our founders listening in before we go a little bit deeper on, on the personal side. Sure. Uh, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm a SaaS founder thinking about planning my strategy for 2022, um, what are some barriers or obstacles I should be thinking about for you know, adopting AI in terms of my marketing strategy? Or you know, what are some things I need to think about there to, to help me build a better strategy? Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great question. I think that um, it depends on the size of your business of how difficult it's going to be to pilot these types of things internally. Um, right. Uh, if you're, but you're, if you're, let's just say we throw that out. Um, really want to think about each stakeholder in the organization and how they're going to view the innovation. Um, mm. and, and it, what, what is it doing? Is it disruptive? Is it an amplifier? Uh, or what is it? Um, but part of that is I really, really, what I would challenge everybody to do by the end of the year is to do a really exhaustive process inventory, um, and flag the things that are being done manually or the things where the process hasn't changed in more than, let's say two years, uh, for mm. one reason or another or you're using what you believe to be a best practice, but it's all manual. Any manual mm -hmm. um, needs to be accounted for there. Um, and from that, you'll find winners. Um, if any, the, and, just, and then I always like to say, write down anything you think is a 100% subjective thing, right? Or where the data doesn't match people's perspectives. Um, one example of this uh, in most organizations is lead scoring. All right. right. Lead scoring is uh, believed to be subjective. People say these are good, these are bad. Um, it's also d a derivative of um, often like demographic data. Uh, 
right? But there's technology out there where you can actually inject your entire CRM and demographic information and build AI models that do predictive lead scoring. And then they create lookalikes. So when someone comes to your site, if you know who they are, because of, you know, maybe you're using a Drift or a um, Kickfire or, 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 you know, a solution, uh, you know, Zoom Info, whatever, um, Clearbit, those types of things. And you're like, hey, this person's from Boeing. All right. Well, is Boeing a good lead? The answer is, if you're using traditional if-then statements, probably yes. <laughs> right. But the real answer is, who knows? How, how successfully has your team sold to large aviation companies in the past? How slow have those deal cycles been? Have they churned? You know, like, so traditional lead scoring is looking at demo only. All right. So I'm giving you an example of something where people will judge leads, good or bad. Yeah, some yeah. people, some people think you do it based on if the, a rule based system that's antiquated. Right. And then those are the workflows that your business can be helped by with AI. So what, how's that correlate to content? I do manual keyword research. Okay. I use a data point like search volume to guide prioritization for what I write. I, my content team manually writes with a small set of instructions. I have multiple feedback loops commonly. When a writer gives me a draft, I manually review it and then I kick it back to them. I uh, look at Google Analytics data to decide what content to update. That's playing results. Uh, so any of those workflows, if you're still doing them manually or you're using a data point or a data source that has been around for quite some time, can be accelerated with artificial intelligence. So that process inventory is first, you know, be real, tune the mirror so that it's clear. Be okay with the fact that you're probably doing a whole bunch of stuff wrong. I know I am every day. Um, and, and then realize there's probably something that's going to solve your problem. Um, you just might not know about it yet. Um, and the, the, the best place in the world is when that technology gives you its first response that was better than anything you could have ever done. That's when you know, oh crap, I'm a human. It's, I have a blind spot. You know, it's when you're writing an article. If you're a writer, I've been on this beat for 20 years. What's this technology going to tell me? And you're writing an article about content marketing strategy. And it's like, hey, um, make sure you talk about target audience. The article you wrote last week didn't. Oh, wow. Obviously, I just had a blind spot. Whoopsie. Right. Um, so those are the types of experiences that we think, you know, Grammarly used to not work. Now we trust it. Right. There's other things like that, that you just you haven't gotten you know, used to, you're not mature enough. You haven't had that experience yet and leave yourself open to those types of experiences. Um, in one case, you know, in our case, we use a predictive lead scoring platform called Mad Kudu, which I believe to be a rocket ship uh, that I would love to hang on to. Um, uh, which, you know, first few months, it was like, let's see if these things, if this is good data, right? That's a, that's a pilot. And then you're like, whoa, this is really, really good data. Uh, you know, the first time you use a spell checker, you were like, this thing can never be right. And then you, the first time you use Grammarly, it wasn't very good. First time you talked to Siri, it probably stunk. 
<laughs> or your echo. Um, so take, take that approach. Like you probably don't know what it will feel like for this to be good. And then you'll be successful with AI. Got it. That's super helpful. Um, so Jeff, kind of want to move into the, on the personal side, a little bit more rapid fire question for, for people to understand you, your background, kind of uh, how you oh. think. Um, so, you know, you're part of a founding team and you, you, you know, it's obviously quite demanding now. You guys have grown, you know, significantly over the year, over year, you know, triple digit growth at some point. Um, how do you currently measure your own leadership success and, and, you know, within your own team today? Oh gosh. Um, I am, I measure it by the skill set and the abilities and success of the team of the individuals who I give responsibilities. Um, I didn't always see that. Um, I didn't see that as the metric. I was always looking at, you know, KPIs and such. But in my current role and where I am in the organization, I see it as um, how much I trust, rely, um, and the, what, the outcomes I expect, um, the level of emotional intelligence in communications, um, the level uh, of, of support, when things aren't good, because a lot of times things aren't good, um, that exists inconsistently. That's what makes me feel, it makes me feel a lot better than any particular number. Um, because I wasn't always, I didn't always act that way. I came from an in-house uh, team and I wasn't thinking critically about that. Um, and the way that that changed for me was when I hired, um, my, my co-founder and I hired a um, the person who is now in our a CTO position. Um, he's, you know, and, and be like, oh, wow, we we got someone who's better than us at almost everything that he's responsible for. And okay. like that, that's, that's the key. That's how I measure myself is that I've got uh, a CEO now. Uh, I've got a CTO. I've got a vice president of marketing, vice president of sales and account management who are better at what they do than I could ever be um, and ever will be. Um, uh, and, and if I can do that consistently, then I'm a successful leader. Um, if I can't do that successfully, then I'm not. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm a little wacky. And as you can tell, I like to uh, get into details. And, uh, you know, I'm really passionate about content. I'm really passionate about SEO. It's the only thing I've ever done. 22 years. Um, and it's the only thing I've ever done professionally is content and search. And... Uh, with a few exceptions, I'm another. I'm a, a founder of another business as well. Um, but the that has to come through. The legitimacy has to come through. But it doesn't yield success unless there's a team who also has the ability to let their experience and expertise shine. Yeah, love it. What's one piece of advice you wish you had known, and you would tell your 25 year old self if you go back today? Oh man. <laughs> I got a lot of those, um, yeah. but for sure, um, you know, nothing trite or silly, uh, but <laughs> what I would, you know, there's a lot of those, um, but I would say from a, um, I would say become an entrepreneur a lot sooner. Um, you are one. Um, and I, I always, exp I, I had, you know, my, my father worked at the same company for 41 years. Uh, we, neither of my parents went to college. Um, uh, you know, he, he was a, he went from, you know, bag boy all the way up the chain to supervisor at a supermarket chain. My mom was a homemaker and, um, and 
I just always thought that you latched on to a business and that you worked and the harder you worked, the better things would come. Uh, so me at 25 would be to say, Hey, 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 that's not the case. Um, you know, uh, you, and plus you have the ability to do this. It's not something where you have to build up so much wealth so that then you can take a leap of faith. Um, which is what I did. I built up a particular amount uh, until I was able to jump off the cliff. Uh, you can jump off the cliff a lot better and things were, will work out. Um, and uh, the one way you can uh, support that is through uh, communities of like-minded people. Always have people in your Rolodex that have done it and are at a, uh, and are smarter than you. And also give back with people who are maybe uh, a level earlier in the same career path. I used to do that with in-house SEOs and in-house content and lead gen teams and maybe multivariate testing and all that. But what I had never had the experience of is doing it with people who have jumped off the cliff. And that's what's been life-changing for me. So I would have reached out early on and said, Hey, Jeff, um, find some people who started their own thing. See if that's right for you. Um, you don't have to you know, have a particular amount of money in the bank for you to even take a chance on being an entrepreneur. While I had a, a side hustle and always have, that's not the same as actually jumping off the cliff. Nice. And, you know, adding to that, is there any, you know, favorite books, maybe top three, or maybe people who'd be mentors or people you followed and who've helped you, you know, succeed, who you say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years? Um, sure. Uh, gosh, um, I believe in a, a storytelling. Um, so um, I love storytelling as a concept. I believe that most founders could really be benefited by two things. Um, uh, value selling, um, selling with value, whether you agree with, you know, IBM consultative selling approach, value selling.com or, you know, Bob Apollo inflection point uh, and his efforts. Um, you've got to figure out how to make it not about you real quick or else you're not going to be successful. You've got to make it about everyone. And you know, the, 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 the value that you're bringing, the problem, the, the uh, business issues you're solving. Um, and if you believe you're exempt from that because you're in a PLG SaaS company, you're wrong. You need to call me and we need to talk because I don't want mm -hmm. you to fail. And I will explain to you why that isn't the case. Um, so, uh, storytelling. And, and so I, I mentioned that, but, um, uh, storytelling is a great, uh, author called Matthew Dix. Uh, he's a storytelling expert, won multiple moth grand slams. Um, go read story worthy and believe that it will ch be changed. It's not related to SAS at all. It's just how to tell a great story. Um, you need it. And most likely you need it. Um, and, um, and then, uh, from a personal, you know, my mentor and, and, and manager at my, first business for years, Jeff Raminger, who now is the primary at a consultants firm called Brand Publis, um, really showed me how to um, think critically about presenting value, presenting the why um, in my communications. Uh, and, you know, a couple words of advice he always gave was, you know, if you get upset about something someone says about you, um, just ask yourself how much you respect them. Um, and if you don't, well, it should mean a lot less to you, um, what they stated or what they've done. Um, if you do respect them, then the next thing you got to look at is yourself. 
Um, and so those are really meaningful pieces of advice that I've gotten over the years and books that I read. Um, more recently, um, gosh, uh, there, there's been a lot of mentors. Uh, the Rhodium uh, community is my my tribe now of entrepreneurs. Our, our founders group, um, if I have a problem, 90% of the chance, 90% of the time, I'm looking at somebody in that group for the answer and they have experience. And the reason why that is, is they speak from experience. I wish for that for everyone. Um, before you look to a guru or a tout, as I like to call them on Facebook or YouTube, um, go look, go look to a community of people who have experience, um, first. Um, because, uh, so many times I see people fail being a founder because they're, you know, they're worried about, you know, what they saw on this person said, and it's not the same as what they're doing. Um, or they got their advice from somebody whose whole purpose in life is to sell their course. And, um, that's a big red flag. So <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, last question, Jeff, what does success mean to you today? You know, obviously you had some good success with your company, with your life, you know, it could be, it doesn't have to be, you know, business related, it could be personally, business, financially, life, uh, no right answer. How do you define it yourself? Um, you know, I'm still learning. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I thought I knew, um, but now I don't. Uh, I thought it meant that I was gonna, you know, retire and be able to focus on, you know, a life of leisure. Uh, you know, but that's it's not the case. Um, I, you know, I, I don't. I trying. I'm trying not to define it um, because def- I think defining success that involves external medium, you know, actually kind of can deny the experience. Um, I'm learning that from the, from, from experience, you know, frankly, the hard way. Um, and so for me now, it's going to be to realize that I can't control it. Um, and I can be only successful if I'm really, really confident that my contributions were the best that they could be. Um, and if I retroactively look back at something and see that I didn't put my best foot forward, even if I hit a goal, I wasn't successful. Thank, thank you, Jeff. This has been this has been fantastic. I'm glad you were able to jump on today. I really enjoyed you know chatting with you. Um, you know, hearing about your background and, and you know all you've done uh, in the community. So thank you for all that. Um, people uh, listening in who who want to who get want to get in touch with you, say hi or just connect. What's the best way to, to reach out? Uh, Jeff at marketmuse.com. M a r k e t m u s e dot com. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, Jeffrey underscore Coil. Uh, LinkedIn. I respond to like ninety percent of LinkedIn. As long as you don't say you like, I like your profile or something like that. <laughs> if it's like an actual question, I'll respond to it. And I, I respond to all DMs on Twitter. Um, go check that out. And we have a Slack community if you're a content strategist uh, called the Content Strategy Collective. Uh, you can probably find a link online, but if you can't, shoot me a note. Um, there's 1,500 of the world's best content strategists all hang out in that Slack. And so awesome. you probably want to be there. Awesome. Awesome. We'll add all those uh, links to our show notes for people to to reach out and and join. Okay. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you jumping on today. Thanks so much. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SaaS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. 
and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.